0: Today on New Mexico Rising, we have a conversation with Paul Gessing, president of the Rio Grande Foundation, New Mexico's premier free market think tank. We'll discuss his work at the Rio Grande Foundation, as well as the policy prescriptions that the foundation comes up with to help New Mexico rise. Let's get started.
1: Today on New Mexico Rising, we are going to be speaking with Paul Gessing. Mr. Gessing was born in Cincinnati to what he's described as a Republican, small businessman father, and a Catholic, socialist mother. We'll have to ask him a little bit about that. He graduated from Bowling Green State University in Ohio with a degree in political science and later received a master's degree in business administration from the University of Maryland. He went on to put his education to work as part of the grassroots lobbyist organization the National Taxpayers Union in Washington DC. In 2006, he was presented with an opportunity to become president of the Rio Grande Foundation, where he has solidified his role as a voice of limited government and individual liberties across a broad spectrum of policies. He's published articles in the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, US News and World Reports, the Albuquerque Gen- Journal, Journal, and several other major publications. He's the author of Heirs of Enchantment, which you can find on the Rio Grande Foundation website, and also the host of Tipping Point New Mexico, a regular broadcast that he takes part in. Today, he'll be sitting down with us to discuss a little bit more about himself, as well as the future of New Mexico, given the current political, economic, and social climate. As always, I'm joined by my indispensable co-host, Thaddeus Preston. Good Sunday. Good Sunday. Been itching to talk about a new phase of matter inside of a what? What, what is a quantum crystal? that explain this to me. I've been reading these articles. I'm still having trouble.
0: Well, it's not exactly a quantum crystal. It's it's called a uh, a time crystal, which is actually. Still, sort of, uh, I don't know, weird in how they they make it sound. They make it sound like you could throw it in a TARDIS and like travel yeah. time like a time lord. But no, it is basically a discrete time crystal, and it is basically a new phase of matter that has been basically theorized since 2012. But only recently, with the power of quantum computing, quantum computing and quantum simulations, have they been able to basically, yeah, they think they can replicate this thing and so this thing the, that's what i'm saying is it is it real is it not real it's it's actually very real um it's just it kind of manipulates the fourth dimension the fourth dimension is actually space um uh, which is kind of this weird thing that you know people don't tend to understand but the i'm not going to sit here and try to explain to you like how these three these these these, these teams over the last you know 5, five 6 years you know, brought these three really weird quirks of physics together to create this phenomena, what I am uh, excited about is the fact that they were able to simulate this thing on a quantum device. Um, as so that's you, the significance of it mainly is, that's is the, the power of the quantum computer. Not so much what they simulated, but the fact that they were able to simulate it. Right. They theorized something. They took these basically... uh Many body localization, eigenstates, and um, basically the ability to pro- 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 it, propel this thing through time with a laser and have it basically move in perpetual motion. And because it's in this insta- insta- um, this point of instability or long equilibrium, and it just kind of sits there and it does it and it does it without expending any energy, basically kind of really wreaking havoc with the laws of entropy. Long story short. The fact of the matter is, they were able to simulate this on quantum systems, the Google quantum system, uh, the Sy- Sycamore processor, which did the quantum supremacy thing back in 2019, as well as a trapped ion system that has been developed by the the note uh, by uh, someone from the University of Maryland called Chris Monroe, who subsequently, with his co-founder Jung Sung Kim, founded a, founded a quantum computing company called IonQ that's going public here shortly. We The cool thing that kind of ties this back to New Mexico is I've seen at least one of these devices in person, a a trapped ion system. And I've actually talked to postdocs at Sandia National Labs that have kind of worked with Chris Monroe and stuff. So it's kind of cool to see this come together, but it actually now gives credence to the fact that these aren't just giant science experiments that we waste a tremendous amount of money on for the R&D purposes. There is something useful that was baby was able to be experimentally proven with these devices? So I mean, Los Alamos has uh, this a giant annealer quantum computer that they bought from Canada. We do our own kind of trapped ion and superconducting science at Sandia. S- these are these are really cool things. I got really really excited about it, and I put it in the show notes because you know I geek out on the type of stuff. So, well,
1: you know, it's one of those things where I'm glad that you have a better understanding of it than me. But you but, know, yeah. maybe we should be encouraged that uh,
0: they're not wasting every bit of money that we
1: throw at everything. Oh no, they're still wasting
0: money. I'm just saying. <laughs> 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 so that, but it's just so it happens that they um, it it, it, it kind of you know my my libertarian bona fides would say that they are uh, they waste all money. But the simple fact of the matter is these machines that are becoming online in the next five years um, that are getting a, now a tremendous amount of not only private money, uh, public money, but private money. These things actually can do something useful. You can actually get something useful that will help society out of the billions that we waste in yeah. a lot of these areas of science. So,
1: well, it's, kudos.
0: Good useful. it's good to be useful. I guess we better serve our purpose here
1: now and, and move on and invite our guest for the day. Paul Guessing, how are you doing? Just,
2: I'm doing just fine. Uh, we were having technical
1: difficulties, so, so don't blame it on Paul that his camera wasn't centered or anything else. That's...
2: We'll, we'll keep it on uh, uh, the, the lower level for my intellectual <laughs> capabilities here. I'll just uh, <laughs> say I, I can't keep up with that that conversation. I, I no, saw
1: that does this to me all the time. So My bad.
2: <laughs> I saw that movie with Jodie Foster and the wormholes, and that's about as uh, <laughs> pretty uh, high tech uh, as I can get. So,
1: well, well, it was interesting when I was reading your bio, um, I obviously saw that you were born in Cincinnati, and I started to freak out because I was really worried that you might be a Bengals fan. No, uh, but after after some more review through your pictures and everything, doing my good job and stalking you on social <laughs> media, I, I found out that you were indeed not a Bengals fan. So I, I feel it's much true. better.
2: Yeah, never never got into the Bengals. In fact, you know, just for the record, the '80s, which uh, were a lot of my youth, uh, the Bengals were better than the Steelers. So if anything, I was not a bandwagon hopper during that challenging decade for my beloved Steelers. Uh, the Bengals went to two Super Bowls. The Steelers did not during the, the actual decade of the 80s. So, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I was I was raised to get used to losing as well. And then when we started winning, it was it was pretty amazing. And now I don't really care. It's funny how that works. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, why don't you tell us a little bit about your work and your background? Sure. Well, you know, let's start with your background. You talked about your mixed parenting. Yeah. And, and I was really curious about that. I mean, especially in a time when we're so politically divided, polarized and everything else, it sounds like your parents kind of had two completely different political um, ideas and how that shaped you. I'm
2: curious. Yeah. Well, thanks. Um, so I uh, went ahead and, uh, you know, was involved in public policy from a young, uh, from a relatively young age. My mom, very idealistic person, uh, she actually grew up mostly here in New Mexico. Uh, she, her family moved here after World War II. her Her dad developed some health issues on a naval destroyer out the Pacific. Needed that dry air that we're known for here in New Mexico. Uh, my dad's family, you know, German immigrants, 1860s, came over to a nice German city, Cincinnati, and basically stuck there. Um, they they came together because my mom actually was sent to Ohio uh, to be a nun in the Catholic Church. She was very dedicated to uh, Catholic Church, grew up went, here, went to Pius High School back when it was at uh, the ABQ Uptown area. And uh, needless to say, she did not ultimately stay as a nun because she not only had myself, but she had my uh, a sister who's a little younger than me. And uh, But I, I got my small business sense from my dad, my idealism from my mom, and was a political science major in college, Bowling Green. Knew I wanted to be in policy, went off to DC, had a great time there, mostly working through the National Taxpayers Union. But was really good friends with some folks who worked in Ron Paul's Capitol Hill office. So that was kind of a big influence on me. I, I got my MBA, knew I didn't want to be part of the swamp, uh, and was looking for opportunities, private sector and public sector. And there's a 50 state network of think tanks. Some of them are really big, multi million dollar organizations. Goldwater Institute out in Arizona is kind of one a lot of people might be familiar with. They get written up by George Will a lot in the papers. Uh, but Rio Grande Foundation was basically a 501c3 document from the IRS when I took over in 06. And, you know, New Mexico is a deeply challenging state, as I know you guys are aware. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of things that uh, have to happen to turn this state around, but it's been a great experience. I made the right, you know, call in terms of my own career and whatnot. I just figured, hey, Gary Johnson was governor. There's at least a chance to turn this place around. But, you um, It's much tougher than I even I expected when I made the move.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, and just kind of the dovetail to that about um, New Mexico as a whole, the moving moving on to like more current and pressing issues is the issue with the former majority leader, Cheryl Williams Stapleton. Uh, Yeah, give us your thoughts on that. I mean, that's basically um, as far as my cynical way of looking at things, New New Mexico politics in a nutshell. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, I think that is, uh, that is right in general. Uh, we were on uh, KOB TV Channel 4 just a day or so ago talking about how the African-American Performing Arts Pavilion at Expo New Mexico is named after her. Uh, that's probably going to come down, but the idea that it's really appropriate to name public buildings after sitting uh, legislators, sitting governors, Politicians of any stripe, really. It's uh, it's wrong. But uh, the more fundamental issue, and this is something we've worked on as well, is Cheryl Williams Stapleton was paid by APS, Albuquerque Public Schools, to go represent them in the volunteer legislature in Santa Fe. So she not only took her full paycheck while she had time off for 30, 60 days, probably more, honestly, than that, and then also taking per diem, which is at least double dipping uh, and arguably triple dipping. So, uh, you know, we've never seen eye to eye politically with Cheryl William Stapleton, to say the least. Uh, she's a sycophant for the government school system and uh, one that's not particularly performing well, not to mention a lot of other issues. And it, it's not that you know that everybody is corrupt, but she's definitely somebody that if you had to pick a politician and 112 members of the legislature she's high on the list of people who I thought might get caught up in something like this so it's no it's no shock to me
1: yeah I mean I think we saw that you know with APS there was 15 other people involved in that that have now been kind of brought into this entire investigation and that's and I think that's something that people are going to realize is that it doesn't really just end with her i mean this could be really ugly what do you think the consequences are moving forward for aps um obviously she was the floor leader for the democratic party and the majority and and what do you think those political consequences are moving forward
2: that's the thing about aps is that you know if if this was a private school or even a charter school they'd probably be done they'd probably uh, just disband the whole thing and get rid of them um APS that's that they they will have some accountability there Uh, and I'll give Scott Elder the new APS superintendent some credit he was one of the people that blew the whistle here and he's relatively new to his job Um, you know he's an insider he's been at APS for a very long time but I am happy to see uh, you know that that process play out as well but APS isn't going anywhere. APS's funding won't be cut. There won't be ultimately uh, repercussions for the entire system. I do think the best we can ask for is some of these these changes, like uh, not allowing people who work for the district. I personally think if you work for a state-funded agency, you shouldn't be voting on state budgets like APS, you know, that ultimately does come through the legislature, and Stapleton had a lot to say about that budget. So I I think we need to get away from having those public employees working there. But uh, I can't imagine this legislature doing that. Maybe we could get those payments for the double, you know, the double time that she's pulling, where she's in Santa Fe as a legislator representing you know, her district, but also APS, uh, maybe we can get that payment sy- system addressed. But even that's going to be an uphill struggle. This is not a legislature that's just going to change direction because of this kind of corruption. It's ultimately up to the voters. It's always up to the voters.
0: Mm, yeah. So staying on that topic, I guess, because, you know, that's, as far as I'm concerned, um, eternal. eternal. You recently, I guess, the city of Albuquerque settled uh, uh, with you uh, a public records lawsuit Mm -hmm. um, and stuff like that. Uh, Talk a bit about that and, you know, what's that mean for the foundation going forward?
2: Yeah. um, So this is another issue that we were involved in. And, you know, unfortunately, the reality of Rio Grande Foundation is that while we would love to be on the offensive, especially on the economic and school choice and school reform issues, A lot of times in New Mexico, given the politics, we wind up playing defense uh, and trying to just slap down bad ideas. Uh, And in November of 2019, we succeeded in that regard with an issue called democracy dollars. You all may remember that being on the ballot. That was, uh, again, November 2019, city of Albuquerque. It went down. Gosh, it was basically 51-49. It was a really close vote. Uh, Democracy dollars was essentially an augmented form of public financing for campaigns. So if you like paying taxes so politicians can run ads for running for office, you'll love democracy dollars because that was a new, it was like a voucher system. It was very poorly uh, defined in the proposals because it didn't even say you had to be a citizen. It didn't say you had to be above voting age, 18, or a registered voter or any real requirements. It just said they were going to the city would distribute these $25 vouchers, and then if you gave them to the politicians running for office, they would get that money in the form of actual campaign financing. So we worked uh, very hard to stop that. Mayor Keller was mayor at the time, and he put a message on uh, the, the cabq.gov website that said, vote yes. And that was something that we know that you're not supposed to do as a mayor elected official, come out and say, vote yes on something, they're supposed to be representing us and carrying out you know, our wishes and uh, various policies, not lobbying us with our own money to vote yes on a particular ballot measure. Uh, and we won an ethics complaint on that, but we also asked for some public records or theoretically public records. Involving the decision-making process because we wanted to know how exactly that decision came came down. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were denied ultimately. We could not get those documents, and so the city and, and you know we're dealing with pro bono attorneys who have to get paid, and you know we don't have a legal wing to go and you know fight till the death, so to speak, for um, these kinds of things. So we we got paid uh, quite frankly by the city using again our tax dollars. So the foundation got a nice little check um, on the order of $10,000, and the attorneys got a check for uh, over $5,000. So we uh, we both got something out of the deal, but we didn't get what we really wanted, which was a policy change.
1: Yeah, in the end, nothing changes. I mean, they went ahead exactly. and settled because they didn't want to do what you asked, mm-hmm. and I got them out of it. And they use the taxpayer dollars to fight it, right? Yep. And then they use taxpayer dollars to pay you off, so to speak. It's yeah. prettier than it is. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I hate the fact that that's the way it went down. Uh, and, you know, we, we did the best we could. Um, it's it's a tough issue. And it's one of the challenges. There's a lot of issues with New Mexico's open records laws uh, in terms of the teeth that they actually have. They're good laws written on paper, but if you don't have some kind of accountability for the politicians beyond, you know, like I said, just cutting a check, uh, it, it's going to be a little bit suspect ultimately.
1: So you've been critical of state subsidies in regards to the spaceport, <laughs> um, as yeah. well yeah. as the film industry, and and oh, I yeah. think see this kind of intermingling with with the way these people give money away. But what are the drawbacks? <laughs> as you see them obviously with the spaceport, you know, and we can, we can kind of go back and forth between the film industry as well. Yeah. But it's all these subsidies and these tax breaks being given to them. And what are we getting out of it?
2: Um, why are they, why, why, why? Well, I would add in the rail runner and soon to be <laughs> the New Mexico United stadium. And I'll just say that uh, the unfortunate reality of New Mexico politics is that Uh, You know, we talked football early on um, and New Mexico is like a team that drafts a first round superstar, you know, speaking Bengals, Joe Burrow. Now, they might have the greatest quarterback um, in the draft, but they don't have an offensive line. They don't have a defense. They don't do the basics. Uh, This is New Mexico writ large. We, We are a state that is constantly throwing Hail Mary passes to try using taxpayer dollars, of course. Yeah. in order to try to achieve some kind of positive return. Uh, the Railrunner just was a boondoggle from day one, because that's going to continue to eat up money. There's no end in sight. The Spaceport, and both of these are kind of Richardson's projects separated at birth. The Spaceport, of course, always had a, a chance of success, uh, but we are close to a decade in. It, it'll be a decade of being open in October of this year. And yeah, Richard Branson got into space or near space or, you know, I'm not going to go Thaddeus and have the conversation about what line and all that stuff. Uh, that's, that's beyond again, uh, just the mileage into space, whatever. So, uh, let's, let's just say Richard Branson made it to space and he's going to hopefully sell some tickets and maybe this will work out. It's not something that at this point we're saying, sell it off and get rid of it because quite honestly nobody would want the facility so i hope it works out uh but to say that you know the people who push this thing bill richardson and so on have been vindicated is not at all correct you have to have a going concern launching people in on these space tourism trips on a regular basis uh making money for the state new mexico you know we, we got to kind of square one uh, and that's good that Branson got up and came back and hopefully that continues and it's a safe operation down there and it, it does work out. But to say that this was, um, you know, a great investment of tax dollars. Uh, I, I do hope it works out, but we're, we're still a long way from uh, cashing in as a state.
0: And what about for Hollywood? I mean, I know some people oh. who kind of work in the industry here in the state and they greatly I guess they now benefit from the, you know, investment mm-hmm. that has gone on <laughs> for the last, well, I, I guess I've been hearing about this, what, 20 years? Um, it's pro- I don't know how long it's been since the subsidy and stuff like that, but it has brought a lot of, I guess, business here, mm-hmm. or filming here. Yeah. Would that ultimately be tracked up as a success? Uh, t- keeping in mind that it doesn't vindicate the fact that the taxpayer dollars were allocated stupidly in the beginning, but like that, that but eventually, you know, it's kinda that's of, kinda of seen it kind of seems to be the I guess the modus operandi of of government when they throw money at things like this. It's just like, well eventually whatever, right? I mean we have Netflix right. who ultimately bought a studio that <laughs> no offense the state taxpayers paid for. Uh, they just came mm-hmm. in 15 years later and just bought it. Um right. and then you know other things like that. But I know people in the industry that make pretty good livings. Now mm-hmm. that there's you know substantial amount of filming happening here, so yeah. I mean, how would you how would the how would you gauge from you know from a economic standpoint the success failure is it break even is it a wash yeah. for the movie industry here? Uh
2: so I'll say the simple answer is no to that. It's not a not a wash. It's a negative. But let me say first and foremost that believe it or not, the originator uh, of the film subsidies was gary johnson Uh, yeah i know i know it's gonna shock everybody uh so gary started them at a relatively modest rate i think it was maybe five or ten percent uh and there was a at least in wonky libertarian circles a back when gary was running for president he kind of touted the film industry a little bit and justin amash was in congress and justin amash called him out Because Michigan had actually been in the process of winding down and eliminating their film subsidies. Uh, So that was something that Amash was definitely on point about. And of course, Gary got it started. Richardson expanded them. Susana Martinez tried to limit them. And then Michelle Lujan Grisham is just like giving them access to the treasury. So just so you all know how it works, the film subsidies give a rebate. They actually pay The company's back 25 or 35 or 30, whatever it is, depends on certain metrics of what they spend here. So it's not a zero tax, like we're not going to charge you the gross receipts tax. You're talking checks cashed by film companies from the state of New Mexico. And the Legislative Finance Committee, this isn't the Rio Grande Foundation, when they made those changes to expand the program. So Susana Martinez basically came in and said, we're going to keep it at 25%, the film rebate, and we're going to uh, limit the payouts from the state of New Mexico to $50 million a year. Well, what they were doing is they were actually l- running up a tab, the film companies were, because they were still filming here. They just had to wait some time for their money. They had to get in line. And so when Susana Martinez left and Lujan Grisham came in, there was a 250 or so million dollar uh, balloon of money that was due to be paid out to film that the state owed them under this subsidy program. So they eliminated the cap. They expanded the subsidy program dramatically, uh, including payments up to thirty-five percent. If you're if you're out of the uh, the metro area and you have some kind of permanent status in New Mexico, like you have a studio, so it's um, you know you're paying thirty-five cents on the dollar for everything they generate, and you know, all of this. This gets back to one of New Mexico's systemic issues that we look at is. The oil and gas industry does so much for this state, but one of the worst things that it does is it creates a lot of money in an unaccountable way. So that's money that could be used to eliminate your personal income tax or get rid of the gross receipts tax and make it a much more reasonable system. Instead, politicians get a hold of it and they come up with these big government boondoggle schemes like the film industry. So uh, the LFC, Legislative Finance Committee, Democrat-controlled body in 2019, Said that the existing program would have cost cost the state of New Mexico two hundred and fifty million dollars over five years. So obviously, do the math: fifty million bucks a year. But it would, uh, as they expanded it, remove the cap and all that they did. They estimated it was going to cost a total of seven hundred and fifty million dollars over five years. So it's, uh, and I don't know if that's actually true or not. Uh, they've actually given other subsidies, something called LIDA which are other checks that they write. Universal Studio that's here uh, was actually built basically by the taxpayers using Lita money. So it's, uh, if, let's put it this way. If every business got Hollywood film credit style subsidies, the state would go bankrupt very quickly. Um, but the oil and gas industry keeps that money flowing. And unfortunately, it's used for wasteful projects like that.
1: Well, and it's interesting you bring that up. Because it's like as you go through these items, it's like that's the next thing you look at um, is the way the Democratic Party continues to just go after the oil industry that's subsidizing all of this. You know, there was Mm -hmm. there was the moratorium. There was the preliminary injunction that was issued that stopped that moratorium. But why are Democrats so obsessed with decimating the industry that's paying all the bills for these pet projects of theirs? You know, they have this, they have this new green, you know, the green new deal agenda that they want to keep pushing forward. Heinrich's a major proponent. Mm -hmm. Obviously you have Holland, the secretary of the interior, you know, why are they doing this? It seems like it's very
2: counterproductive to me to even their goals. Yeah. uh, That's something I certainly agree with, but, You know, Democratic Party politics in New Mexico have shifted pretty dramatically over the 15 years I've been at the Rio Grande Foundation. Uh, Back when I started, you had kind of a general consensus that it's not that they're pro limited government; they're certainly not libertarians, but they were kind of the moderate Democrats in a lot of ways. The progressives have definitely taken over the Democratic Party, and. Uh, climate change and anti-energy policies uh, are really uh, their religion, for lack of a better word, uh, and so they're pushing hard. Now, Michelle Lujan Grisham's in an interesting position because she, too, a libertarian, probably seems like a pretty hardcore progressive, but on oil and gas, she's actually a voice of reason within the Democratic Party. So what she's done for her time in office on energy is basically go after... Other policies and nibble at the heels of oil and gas, but not directly attack them because she loves that sweet, sweet nectar coming in. That money uh, really would, if that went away, would hinder her goals. So she'll do things like the Energy Transition Act, which uh, PNM just said that next year, if that coal fired power plant up in the San uh, San Juan generating station is taken offline, that we could be dealing with rolling brownouts and blackouts. I mean, that's PNM. Saying that, so she's done things to also like she wants to do the clean car standard. So make everybody buy ethanol cars or electric cars or whatever. Now that impacts New Mexicans, but it doesn't directly impact the money flowing in here from the oil and gas. And right. uh, so she's been more in in tune with balancing the hard left, progressive, radical environmental policies that are advocated now by many in the legislature with uh, you know, balancing that with the state's best interest financially. And it's it's fascinating to watch. And uh, there's obviously a lot of Democrats in the legislature who would be happy to just kind of get rid of the oil and gas industry, what they would do next. I have no idea. And they don't either.
0: Yeah, that actually that that is that has been the biggest bugaboo of mine for many, many years. And you are right. I mean, she was one of the few western governors when the uh, when the uh, moratorium came down from the biden administration that at least said something mm-hmm. right yep. <laughs> right yep. um you know uh, particularly western governors who were just like wait what you know um but yeah they don't they tend to think that this green agenda where we're going to somehow go- switch strictly to renewables Runs into a numerous, numerous technical issues from, again, um, from a solar perspective, the, you know, uh, Cuesenar Shockley limit of the inability to even get 38% more. Uh, getting beyond 38% efficiency. We're talking about lithium ion batteries, which, you know, oh, but we don't want, you know, slave labor and we don't want this and that. But lithium ion and lithium mining is just as environmental damaging. as mm-hmm. digging coal out of the ground. I don't know what they expect us to do. They hate nuclear. Which is, which is odd being that you know we have two nuclear weapons laboratories in the state mm-hmm. um, and smart people who work at those laboratories who understand that like, nuclear is not this bugaboo. But I don't hear anyone reaching out to ask those questions. And uh, you're right. I, this backdoor green agenda to a state that is, no offense, poor and heavily depends. We're like a developing country. Come on. Well, <laughs> we're like China. No, we're, we're no, no, no. We... We're actually we're actually quite nice here, but I mean, I mean, yeah, like the money they would be wasting on these other subsidies. I don't know how about how about improve the infrastructure of the mm-hmm. southeast portion of the state where oil mm-hmm. and gas is dominant. Um, yeah, it is fascinating, but but they want to do these silly things like, for instance, UBI. So you had talked mm-hmm. about UBI in Santa Fe being, you know, a failure already. Um, I was unaware that they'd even attempted anything like that. Talk to us about like one of these other dreams of the uh, Democrat legislature and the Democrat administration in Santa Fe when it
2: comes to UBI. Well, I would actually call it a fake UBI, not a failure, because, <laughs> uh, and there's a big difference, which yeah. is that a UBI, uh, universal basic income, of course, for the uninitiated, is, as I understand it, basically uh, wrapping up all of the, say, federal welfare programs, your food stamps, your Medicaid, Medicare, whatever it is, and you give uh, folks a check monthly that they use in whatever way they can, You probably something that they can survive on. Uh, if they want to have more money, they have to go to work and actually earn that money. Now, Santa Fe's uh, pro- program, uh, it's part of I think Jack Dorsey from Twitter put up a lot of the money. It's funded by some uh, millionaires and billionaires and just a kind of grant situation. And Santa Fe joined, as a lot of progressive cities have, into this voluntary program. And the idea is, uh, the real world idea is that they're paying people who are going to school, which is right there different from a UBI. Uh, If you're limiting it to people in college, that's different, Uh, and then, uh, you're, you're not paying them permanently. You're paying them for like a period of a few years. So yeah, it's a. Uh, uh, and of course that they're using grant money from a uh, uh, you know some of these billionaire guys, not money from taxes. So I, I don't want to go down the path of UBI for the simple reason where we are seeing the Democratic Party nationally really move towards that concept with these unemployment payments and some of the policies like this child care tax credit stuff. This is all more welfare programs, whether you limit anything else. I mean, you, you really think there's the will in Washington or in state capitals across the country to actually pull back on any of these government programs. They're just putting more programs on top of what already exists. And of course, that's not what Milton Friedman and uh, and, and other kind of conservative thought leaders had in mind when they were talking about the universal basic income at all.
1: Yeah. Interesting. It was it was Milton's birthday yesterday. I saw. So. Yeah,
2: 160 would have been, and of course he only passed away, what if, you know, yeah, seven they, or eight they, years ago.
0: Yeah, they probably yeah. would have canceled him by now. Yeah, they probably <laughs> canceled him definitely by now. But that's true. It, I think in a way that's it, it feels true, right? I, I I am I am under the assumption, and, and I I don't know if I've read this via your publications or other publications about New Mexico wanting to hand out more money. After the federal money runs out, like I've told people for a long time, like this government top up that we were getting as a result of the COVID-19 stimulus money, a lot of which of that money is there, just not appropriate, uh, appropriated, but has not been spent. Um, Like, I do you see that as a backdoor kind of UBI here for the state of New Mexico? I mean, because, you know, I, I think Michelle has Lujan Grisham has talked about, you know, enhanced. Monthly child tax credits has mm-hmm. you, will pick up the slack when the federal top up probably uh, for unemployment ends, and a lot of states are going to try to do that. Um, so, do you see that as a kind of a backdoor way of kind of moving in a UBI direction, or is it just not really a UBI because it, the federal the federal stuff that they are getting they still get the state stuff that they are getting they get they'll still get, but this additional stuff coming from the state is just more on top of that and not trying to round it the one check.
2: Yeah. My impression of the UBI is it's very specific in what it is. And that's the reason you've had, I think Charles Murray is another one who uh, on the right side of the spectrum has supported it in the past. And I, I'm generally opposed. We, we haven't really taken a firm stand at the foundation, but because of the, I just lack of political will to limit other programs, uh, we haven't supported it. But Alaska has that permanent fund, another oil and gas state. Now, New Mexico, uh, You know, some people have likened what they do in Alaska. And if you're not familiar with what they do in Alaska, they actually take uh, the spinoff of that, uh, the interest and whatnot from their oil and gas money. And they cut you a check. It It has to do with how long you've lived there. And there's some other factors. But basically, if you live in Alaska for a few years, you get a check from the state and some people argue, well, that's a universal basic income. And honestly, I don't care what you call it, whether you say it's UBI or not. I would take that over what New Mexico does if it's funded by the oil and gas money that comes in here, because the, the scope and the amount of money that is put into New Mexico from oil and gas and the way it is misused and wasted uh, in the education system and just in general uh, it is appalling, so it might not be a perfect system, but I'd much rather fund individuals and hand over checks to average people than uh, fund government in ways that are unaccountable and not transparent to the average person because they just don't understand where that money goes. And that's where you get the film industry, the spaceport and all these other boondoggles, the rail runner. Uh, it, we have a state uh, political system where the accountability is not really there with regard to how money is spent. And that's a, that's a huge problem for this state kind of institutionally.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think it's interesting. You kind of talk about Alaska, which I'm somewhat familiar with. But it was almost as though you know, there are potential benefits with a UBI. And, and that could be debated back and forth. I've, mm-hmm. I've been with people all over the political spectrum about that. Yeah. It's like when you talk about the pitfalls. The pitfalls is that it also sets up this situation where the state could conceivably roll out a social credit system. And there is a lot that might be happening. It's interesting that you talk about Jack Dorsey being involved in this pilot program with, you know, different cities across America to roll out a version of UBI when they're working on automation systems, obviously to get rid of, you know, blue collar jobs, which, what are you going to do with those people? That's always been the argument. You got to give them UBI just so that they can survive. But going back to that, and dovetailing. So, okay, you say they're going to do UBI and you talk about social credit. Well, there seems to be a major societal push toward the idea of punishing anyone who's refusing to take this vaccine, <laughs> for instance. Mm-hmm.
2: You
1: know, so what is the in game going on there? I mean, are we seeing this where they're almost rolling out subsidies after this you know, coronavirus epidemic? Where they've rolled out subsidies, whether we're talking about the child tax credit, that you know they're just mailing checks to people now, you know it's it's become a very communist country very quickly <laughs> over the last mm-hmm. year. I mean, what are, what is the end game? What are what are they pushing for with all of these um, social? Oh, what do you want to call it? Norms? They're not norms yet. They want them to be norms.
2: Uh, uh, boy. That is uh, almost a bigger question than I can even contemplate because, uh, you know, of course, in March of 2020, when things started to shut down, the messaging was two weeks to flatten the curve. We want to keep people out of the hospitals. We want to make sure there's enough capacity. And, you know, we're a long, long way from that at this point. And I'm not the biggest, you know, conspiracy theorist Alex Jones type person at all. Like I'm a pretty uh, feet to the ground, like let's move forward kind of person. But uh, boy, you know, you see people on Facebook, and they say, well, you know, there's another conspiracy theory proven right, and it, it, they, they're not full of it. They're they're actually correct. And you know, my foundation, and, and we uh, made a very conscious decision early on that we were going to fight against the idea that government should be locking down indefinitely, that they should be picking and choosing winners and losers, that they should be keeping us separated as individuals, as human beings, our kids. Um, so I went and protested over the weekend here with uh, the mask because I have kids in school and I think it's ridiculous that they're gonna be forced to wear masks. We homeschooled last year and you know we gave them the choice and they said they wanted to go back and be with friends and I, I get that. and. The mass just uh, is not not cool. It's not science. It's it's just uh, social control that is unfortunate. And let that's before we even get to the financial implications of all the people we put onto government programs and kind of the the additional ratcheting up effect of government's control over us individually. And so we're we're seeing this battle going on in Washington and Santa Fe and other blue states, uh, mostly, where every time any bad news comes out no matter how kind of le- less than crisis we're talking about we're not nobody's talking about full ho- uh, full hospitals nobody's talking about the kind of death rates we were seeing before uh, but they're they're eager to keep us locked down and keep us in mass and uh, all the kinds of stuff and of course government programs so uh, i i don't know what the end game is i wish i think it just is up to us as people Uh, to push back and to encourage businesses to push back because that's the pressure point. They can't control us as individuals that well. They can control the businesses uh, pretty easily though, because they have, they're, they're vulnerable.
1: Well, I think that's what we're seeing. I mean, all of these economic pressures are something that's going to be then used to enforce these mandates. Mm -hmm. I mean, we kind of see them rolling this out. I mean, last year Pelosi said, Oh no, we'll never do mandates. Well, we figured she was a liar for a long time now, I think, at this point. But, you know, so, so now they're setting this up where if they lock the economy down again, which, you know, the way they're starting to signal with this Delta variant, and, and you know, maybe even what, you know, people like us who've followed this for a long time, what our fears are about the Delta variant. I know in in the uh, UK Daily Mail, they were reporting that a lot of scientists out there think that it 100% is caused by the vaccine and that it is going to be much more virulent as this mm-hmm. thing pushes forward. They were even forecasting numbers like one out of three for mortality with this new variant. So, I, I, you know, it's hard to even predict that. And obviously we, everyone was somewhat um, concerned last year. And then as we saw the two weeks turn into a year and we saw the mortality rates decline and everything else. But they've set up this system where People are now dependent on the government. The government is saying they're going to roll out mandates. I mean, yeah. that's how they're going
0: to push it. And they're, mm-hmm. and, I, and I, what I've noticed is how they're going to do that is they're going to turn citizen against citizen. I mean, they've basically made... People like yourself, who uh, Paul, who are out there basically protesting for, you know, hey, why do we have to continue masking our children? What's the long-term implications of masking our children? Mm -hmm. This is ridiculous. You're being looked at as the unvaxxed masses, which which is silly because it's not necessarily the unvaxxed that are, in this particular instance, kind of pushing back against schools mandating that Mm -hmm. children wear masks in the fall. Also, it's starting to become... It's making people very wary and of the fact that, like, well, let's say they, well, they did get vaccinated. And now we're back to this predicament where we have to vaccinate. And then basically the excuse is, well, the reason you have to mask up is because of the unvaccinated when we have some of the highest vaccination rates in the Western world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's almost like they're setting this precedent because... Yeah the next thing they're going to do next thing they're going to do probably soon rather than later is climate crises or mm-hmm. other types of crises. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, so yeah, it's not necessarily a question, but it's more of a, kind <laughs> of a statement, but about, about like, yeah. they're just kind of turning people against each other first and foremost. Well, I
2: just to be clear and I don't normally disclose my personal health information on uh podcast, but I, I did get the vaccine. Uh, I got the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, uh, My wife got it, got one before I did. You know, I I decided that uh, it was the best case for a variety of reasons, best way to go. Uh, So I vehemently oppose what the governor just did with a statewide employee mask uh, vaccine mandate. Uh, Those are policies that I have tremendous concern about. Certainly kids and my own kids, uh, I'm not going to feel pressure to get them vaccinated in order for the privilege so to speak of not going to school with a mask on that is going to be a bridge uh, a battle that we're going to fight uh, at some other point we'll see when that shakes loose but uh yeah it, it, the idea that you're going to put people who have been vaccinated in a mask uh, is just the least incentive for people to get a ma- get the vax anyway if that's if that's your goal and yeah. you know it, it just the whole thing is a complete mess
1: yeah, it's like, I, you know, you say you don't like to think of yourself as a conspiracy theorist. And I <laughs> I think that and I can sympathize with that. Where <laughs> further this goes on, however, yeah. at some point you really have to pay attention to the people who've been consistently correct. Yeah. And the yeah. problem is, is that the people who've been consistently correct are also the people who have been the most censored. And whose voices have been suppressed the most throughout all this. So, I mean, without getting too far down that, we have to face this. You know, know, we have to look at this. We have to know what we're going to do as New Mexicans.
2: Yeah, just a quick early story on that. Um, uh, Over a year ago, this was probably in May, uh, when things were still kind of freak. People were freaking out. And uh, Tim Keller, the mayor of Albuquerque, closed, and I, you know, say closed, the parks, he put signs up saying the parks are closed. And everything I'd been reading at the time was uh, that, that it doesn't spread outside, it doesn't spread on surfaces. And, you know, I definitely have red pilled my kids with regard to this kind of thing and, and a lot of other stuff. And yeah. we, they just yanked those signs out of the ground and chucked them and stuck them under the, the dirt, the wood chips and dirt. Uh, and we Played at the playground. I mean, there was literally nothing else to do in May of 2020 with your kids besides go to the park, and so uh, that that is one thing that I'm proud of more as a parent than public policy figure. And I was interacting on Twitter with uh, uh, Carter Bundy, uh, who he's the head of the ASME. Uh, organization here, uh, kind of our polar opposite, asked me is the American Federation of State, County and Municipal Employees. Somebody who we disagree with a lot, and he called me a bad parent on Twitter for allowing my kids in May of 2020 to play on the uh, playground, and I uh, that's when I blocked him. You know, we'd normally been like a rival, but respectful. But I I just can't countenance people coming after my parenting techniques because I let them play at a playground. And I just really, I fear for this generation of children, especially the ones who have been uh, inculcated with such kind of fear about the world around them. Uh, But, you know, as the father of three daughters, I've done the best I can to make sure that they're uh, not afraid of whether it's COVID or just the world around them. And uh, hopefully there's a lot of parents out there because we're having kids and they're not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So all right,
0: well then uh, let's end on a white pill. Then I mean, what do you, what what do you want New Mexicans, um, I guess, to do to preserve what freedoms they have, and you know what in trying to preserve those freedoms. I mean, how might New Mexico rise if we can inculcate enough of New Mexicans to kind of look at that as a goal, as an end goal to preserve freedom here?
2: Well, it's pretty simple, actually. Uh, you mentioned New Mexico you being a poor state. And I, I would say that we shouldn't be a poor state. Not only do we have all this oil and gas and mineral wealth and all this kind of, a, a, you know, literal wealth under the ground, but we have beautiful weather, beautiful area that people want to be in culturally, geographically, and the Southwest is booming. All of our neighbors are booming. I just want our, you know, basically the question I want to ask people is, what, what are our other neighbors doing that we can't do in New Mexico? Because we stick out like a sore thumb. I mean, we're, you know, everybody talks about Mississippi, whatever state, I mean, we are a state that does not succeed on any measuring stick, you know, economic growth, children, getting an education, crime. I mean, we, you know, at the Rio Grande foundation have plenty of solutions, uh, and we talk about them extensively, tax reform, gross receipts, uh, especially, but long term, we could eliminate the personal income tax. Uh, getting rid of rules and regulations that hinder us, rampant school choice, you know, really opening the schools up and making the funding uh, follow the child. But uh, and I'm not you know, I'm not somebody who thinks, oh, Republicans have all the answers, but dang it, we've been basically a Democrat dominated state since 1930. Uh, you could go back. I've got a chart that I throw out there sometimes. Uh, the last time Republicans had the governor's mansion and both the House and the Senate was 1930, and uh, uh, it, it's just phenomenal that we have people who think that doing the same thing—it's—I you know, know it's the dumb definition of insanity—you know, just do the same thing over and over again and get a different result. Well, we—that's what we seem to do in New Mexico. So I want people to travel to look at you know people think Colorado it's a blue state well they have this taxpayers bill of rights where they strictly limit the amount of spending that happens at the state and local levels you get refund checks you get all kinds of things you know Utah does a lot of great things Arizona has led in school choice for decades Texas is a zero income tax state let's do what the other states around us are doing and see if we can get some of the better results here in New Mexico because we have an incredible state. It's just been terribly managed for many, many years beyond any of our lifetimes. And it's time for people to wake up and figure it out. Absolutely. Mr. Guessing, thank
1: you for joining us today. Uh, Thanks, so- guys.
2: Appreciate it.
0: All right, That's man. Appreciate nice. it, man. Good to see you. We'll get you,
2: guys on our, we'll get you or one of you two on our podcast at some point. We'll uh, have a, t- a crossover to Tipping Point, New Mexico. <laughs> that yeah. sounds
1: like a plan. Sounds All like right. A plan.
0: Definitely, sir. What are we doing,
2: gentlemen? Uh, good
0: afternoon. Uh, thank everybody for watching. This August eighth, we have Rebecca Dow coming on, which she's running for New Mexico governor of New Mexico. Um, pretty awesome. I mean, I expect it to be a good show, especially if you two are asking the good questions and she's coming and with a good answers. A, so another
1: politician. Well, okay.
0: Let's see what they have, right? I mean, this is supposed to be <laughs> how the system works, right? We have to, yes, yes. yes. This is what we do. So let's hear what they have to say. And uh, she seems like she's going to be a great guest. Um, Other than that, do you guys have anything else? Anything you want to say? Anything you want to push? Anything you want to share? Obviously, because we are on Spotify oh and google, apple P- google podcast and itunes so yeah subscribe there that's still a thing guys we're on the Spotify's, we're on the itunes and we're on the google play uh store well, i don't think they call it google play anymore i think it's just called google podcast now yeah uh, just uh, to the subscribe to new what's that they're just gonna call it the overlord soon yeah pretty much because google power. is still making money hand over fist by the way you, <laughs> you
1: gotta put up your magic uh, you know your symbol oh you're talking about this oh okay. oh you're oh well
0: i mean also guys yeah like uh, I, I must show for my uh, my box here thinking. yeah it it is a, it is a, it think of it as therapeutic ladies and gentlemen yes. it is the nordic nightstand desktop 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 tabletop golden block lamp it's cordless it's remote controlled and it does all the colors oh did i all also colors. mention that it's touch controlled on Amazon for thirty six, it'll be a sale soon. Thinking about dropping the price so we can move inventory. Because if you help me, I can help New Mexico rising. So there you go. That's, that's it, guys. That's that's, that's, that's about it. that's that's yeah. about all I'm willing to show yeah. for today. Yeah, the
1: standard like, share, subscribe. We love you. We do this for you because we're we're we're. Uh, well, that's why we do it.
0: We're desperate. I'll
2: just leave it at that. We're desperate for change. <laughs> <laughs>
0: all right guys okay. Yeah, okay. have a what good we- afternoon ladies and gents happy august it's august now it is august awesome august. Yeah. see you guys in one week for rebecca dow
1: oh we'll do a wins. Whim-